0: Hello, family, and welcome back to the Explore the Extraordinary Podcast. My name is Betty Guadagno, and today I am joined by Jim. And Jim is a friend of mine from the West Coast of Canada. We connected, it's probably been close to a year ago now, Um, around uh, Jim had seen a podcast that I had done and we started talking about spiritual experiences and we were talking about writing and it was just a really cool conscious conversation that we had and I thought that it would be so fun to have you come on the podcast and just Share about your spiritual journey. We're all in so many different places in our spiritual journeys, and we have so many ways of coming to awareness and awakening. And so, yeah, I'm really grateful for your willingness to come and serve our community here at IAMS today. And so I'm going to pass it right over to you to start sharing.
1: Oh, sucks. Well, um, first of all, let me just say, thanks, Betty, for, for inviting me on. And uh, no, it's a great honor to be here. And as uh, Betty alluded um, I was utter, utterly captivated with her her original story about her, NDE, and um, yeah, and the rest is history. We sort of started conversing from there. So uh, uh, Betty asked me to share a bit about myself. So I grew up here on the west coast of Canada, on Vancouver Island, for anybody who might be familiar with it. And I guess I, I like to draw attention to that because at the time when I was uh, growing up here, Vancouver Island was very much a sort of a resource-based, you know, economy. It was all lumberjacks and fishermen and stuff. And I grew up in a small logging town, logging and fishing town. And uh, I had these pretty conservative parents. My dad was a World War II veteran who landed at Normandy and all this kind of stuff. And I'll talk about all these things because I think – Context is a really big part of who we are and who we become and how we experience our journey. Um, Obviously, there's people who are born in India and they grew up from day one, you know, within a household where they're meditating and they're practicing yoga and what have you. That was not my childhood at all. But uh, I was raised in um, the Anglican Church of Canada, which in the United States would equate to the Episcopalian Church. And so it's pretty, you know, straight up uh white bread kind of uh you know christian upbringing kind of thing i'm really grateful for i'm really really grateful for because certainly in my uh country parish um there was no hell and damnation there was just absolutely none of that so i'm really really grateful for that because of course children are so impressionable and you know, they. I'm sure there's probably a lot of people watching this that can attest to that, you know, the, the struggles that they may have had coming out of it, whatever their religious tradition is. But in my case, I can, I can honestly say it was all positive, and it was all about love, and it was all about, in this case, you know, framed in the context of Jesus, great teacher. Um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you and all the rest of it. Anyways, I think that was a really, really good grounding for me. Um, but then around age 12, of my own recognizance, I uh, I chose to take uh, confirmation classes into the church, you know, and, you know, i had been baptized, of course, and the tradition is, you know, you at age, you know, around age 12, you say, well, okay, I hereby take up the mantle and I agree that, yeah, I'm going to continue in the faith and, you know, and uh, do the work kind of thing. And I was genuinely, again, I, I, think, I think this probably says a lot about where I was coming from. I'm going to say probably past life kind of stuff. Because I can assure you that most of the other kids, the, the few other kids in my little town that were doing the confirmation classes with me, they were only there because their parents were forcing them to be there. But I was, genu- you know, genuinely enthused, like, oh, yeah, this was meaningful to me. And um, anyway, so I do that. And after, I'm going to say within a year, though, of being in the full main body of the church, I, I basically started to get kind of bored, you know, Um it just wasn't quite answering everything. I mean, I wasn't able to articulate it yet at that age, but there, it, um, I, I had a sense that there must be more. Well, the universe then, as it, it sort of has its way of doing, uh, provided a channel or a means for me to sort of grow beyond those bounds. And it came in the form of a, my older brother, who had long you know, left uh, town and was living in another part of the country. He came back to visit me, started talking about this wonderful teacher he'd met. And he was a student of this um, teacher of Eastern Meditation, who, as it turns out, was one of the 14 originally ordained ministers of Paramahansa Yogananda, for anybody out there who might be familiar with Paramahansa Yogananda. Um, Anyways, so the the rest of the story is I, I met this teacher and from, from the first moment, it was like, you know, thunderbolt, lightning bolt experience of, wow, like this, this speaks to me, this resonates for me. And that's when I began my own practice of meditation and where this starts to link up with, uh, I'm going to say with, with your experience, Betty, and I think this is what resonated so much for me when you were describing your NDE and other NDE's that I've, you know, um, Uh, enjoyed reading and whatnot is uh, around age 14 or 15, I had my first experience of what is called Samadhi. And Samadhi is the breathless state that is achieved through yoga practices and meditation. And in my case, I wasn't looking for this to happen. It happened quite unexpectedly. I was vaguely aware that there was this thing, this state called samadhi, but it wasn't something that I went looking for. The only thing I knew at that point in my life was um, when I meditated, I felt this, you know, wonderful sense of peace fill my body. And I found consistently that as I went about my business through the day, everything just seemed to sort of happen, you know, really easy and really swimmingly. Everything I Everything seemed to flow, you know. Meditation, regular meditation, would put me into a nice flow state, and it made life really, really pleasant. Anyways, little did I suspect. Uh, finally, on one one day when I least expected it, um, my breathing stopped, and I was vague, you know, sort of vaguely conscious of this in this deep meditative state. And all of a sudden, I I could almost—it's like I could. F- feel the sensation of a like a small aperture opening here. And I saw darkness with a tunnel, the classic. You know, I, I'm really pleased by the way that, that, that people are actually representing this in videos now re- graphically in a way that actually looks a lot like what I experienced. <laughs> so it's kind of neat. Um, anyways, there's this tunnel and there's a light at the end. And uh, I start to move into the tunnel And as I start to move into the tunnel, it accelerates and I, before I knew it, I was sort of shot out the other end into the light, like a, like a cannon shot. And when I came out into the light, you know, classic experience, I was immersed in a state of perfect peace and this sensation of perfect love, you know, just absolute love-like i'd never anyone i don't know i'd certainly never experienced before this sense of complete utter peace uh complete love and this knowledge that this this was the source of everything you know uh beyond that was i aware of other beings being around on that occasion i don't think so um on later occasions i've had many other experiences since you know but uh uh yeah um, on that particular occasion, that's as far as it went. And I will say this: <laughs> yeah. I was in this experience, and it was so intense that uh, at some point I felt myself. I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest that it was whatever that little that little furry animal is, you know, that resides within us, the the ego consciousness, you know that that frightened little animal sort of sort of realized, oh oh my god, this is way too intense, you know. And as soon as I sort of had that thought, I found myself going pop back into my body again, into body consciousness, you know? So uh, anyways, that's sort of my backstory from there, uh, Betty. We can go in a hundred different directions. I mean, um, I've there's a lot of other things that have happened since and involving, yeah, visions and beings of all sorts and all kinds of stuff. Um, I guess before I get to, I would just I would just say though that uh, I like to take it all in stride and and I always like to take that stuff and bring it back to okay, what does it mean for me today? Because I still need to go to the grocery store and buy groceries, and I want to be functioning in this world. I want to be useful to other people, and you know, whatnot. So,
0: wow, yeah, thank you so much for sharing Uh, a couple of things that really. Like popped out for me. Number one, you're sharing about a profound spiritual experience that has so many mirrored experiences to near death experiencers, and that did not happen through death. And so I think that that's a really important thing to bring up, you know, that we can have these profound experiences. I love how you said, like, this was not through any sort of practice. This is just something that happened. And why do things like that happen? I don't know. I think lots of people have different theories around it, but what we do with it, like how you just said, how do I remain having my human experience when I've seen and touched the intangible? But I came here to have a human experience, right? And I think that that is such an important key. And maybe we could talk a little bit more about that. I would love to hear about some of your other experiences as well. Um, with beings or entities or like, let's get real weird (laughs) and talk about all things spiritual. (laughs) But how do you find the balance in knowing that you've had these very profound life changing experiences that you've found spiritual teachers that have resonated with you in deep knowing ways and still go to the grocery store and buy toilet paper?
1: Wow. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's, how do you find balance? Yeah, that's 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 a million dollar question, I think. And and every, for everybody, of course, it's going to be different. So again, I always like to acknowledge that um, uh, in my conversations with people, because again, we all come from different traditions, we all come from different perspectives. Um, I, I think I do earnestly believe that we are all heading towards the same truth, you know, um, but. But how we get there is very, very personal, right? And so, how do we achieve balance? Well, I can—I guess I can only talk about then about how I achieved, or I think I've achieved balance. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I can tell you, there's been plenty of times when I've been imbalanced. And again, I think anybody who's been on any on, a, you know, earnestly been on a path for any length of time is probably and had, you know, these different experiences of ecstasy or maybe encounters with other entities and beings and stuff, you know, it, it can all get very confusing. And um, but for myself, I, I I tend to believe it has a lot to do with that early grounding that I had as a child. And that's why I think that's why I like to always put emphasis on that, like um, because that in turn has serious implications for how we live today as c- communities. As families and with parents and what have you, um, you know, children are precious and they're delicate creatures. And you know, I'm a gardener, by the way. I'm a, you know, I'm an avid gardener, so I always make the comparison with you know, gardening. And you're gonna you're gonna plant something, you know, you need to take care of it. <laughs> you need to water it the right way. Now, plants just like children. Are remarkably resilient. You know, it's uh, sometimes it doesn't matter how much you you, you mess up in what you're, the work that you're doing. They somehow miraculously come through. But um, having said all that, though, I believe that it is incumbent upon us to at least make a decent effort. <laughs> and uh, so that's I was I was. Um, yeah, I'm just grateful that I had a good a good childhood that way with you know reasonable parents, and um, even if they weren't meditating or anything, they were um, they they sort of set a, you know good foundation. But I think there's another element here. There's the mental aspect. We talk about you know keeping balance. Um, a lot of these experiences, of course, can be very very disorienting. And um, if if I can speak for a moment from the yogic perspective. Um, It's pretty well understood, at least in India, that if you practice certain uh, meditation techniques and yoga techniques, you you run a little bit of risk at times if you overdo it, you know, like, so what does that mean? Um, There are practitioners. I know people here in North America who they got into meditation. They enjoy the experience. And they go, I, wow, well, you know, medit- if meditating one hour a day is really, feels really good and some nice things are happening for me, my life's working out. I'm going to try meditating six hours a day and it, that's got to be better, right? And uh, not always the case, <laughs> because what happens is um, we have a nervous system that, and this is what mediates our experience between this physical body and the higher realms. And if you start opening up some of those channels within the nervous system too quickly, too soon, and your body isn't prepared for whatever number of reasons, it can be uh, toxicity due to poor diet, it can be toxicity due to all sorts of substances, it can be um, emotional, psychological, mental toxicity, if you will, from, you know, childhood trauma, you know, and all sorts of things. So. What you wanted, I believe in slow and steady wins the race, you know, just like the tortoise of the hare. (laughs) You know, I could say this too. For years when people would in the, in the community would talk about, oh yeah, I can't wait to, you know. Achieve enlightenment, you know, I want to I want to go all the way and I want to make sure that I, you know, cancel out the cycle of rebirths, you know, and whatever in this in this lifetime. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm happy just to go one step at a time. And let's just see where we get. And, uh, I'll check in with you later. <laughs> But anyways, it's been working. I, I feel like it's been working for me because year by year, there's been sort of a steady unfoldment. I think it and, that uh, and I've become, I don't know, in practical terms, I've become more even tempered. I've uh, yeah, and uh, oh, and then of course, you know, uh, things like uh, I, I like how, bringing this up to sort of this part of the picture of how things happen naturally is that I never used to see auras. And you know, I knew about auras, and I heard people talk about auras, and I'd even had people read my auras, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool." Oh, oh well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know if that's ever going to happen for me, but it doesn't really matter one way or another. I don't figure. And then one day, about 15 years ago, I'm going to say, during a period of you know intense meditation, you know, for several days running, um, I just spontaneously started seeing auras, and um, anyways. I don't see, you know, the multitude of colors. I just see sort of the basic, you know, halos and stuff like that. Um, but that was my response. My reaction was, "Wow, cool!" <laughs> you know, and it's neat. It's just like, and it, for me, it just became this ooh, one more little thing. It's just like, oh, that's nice, you know. And it's one of the th- aspects of it was, oh, this is a really neat affirmation that, oh yeah, we we are energy beings. And there you go. There's the energy. And it correlates with vibrational energy, of course, and, and what have you and whatnot. Um, yeah. I'm babbling. I Am I babbling? No,
0: no, no. I love it. Thank you so much <laughs> for sharing that. You know, I think that that there's a lot to say there that somebody could experience a new spiritual gift being awoken to them and think, oh, cool. Because I feel like, you know, for me personally, like in my own journey, when the world of spirituality started to open up to me, I was like, whoa, close the door, shut my eyes, like put a blanket over my head. I do not want to see this just because it was so unfamiliar. But I would imagine because you've surrounded yourself with spiritual information, that you're much more open-minded to this happening. And so, you know, for me, what I'm getting out of what you're saying is that knowledge is power. The more that we can expose ourselves to, the more we can, like, ease into a different sort of reality, one that's um, more open-minded, is based around spiritual principles. So, yeah, you know, what comes up for you as I'm saying that? Anything?
1: Um yeah, uh yeah, sorry, no, I think I lost the
0: so like do you feel like because you had empowered yourself through knowledge that you were more willing to sort of be brave and step into this whole world of spiritual awakening?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, that's involved, you know, plenty of reading as you might imagine and I've I've done reading from pretty much every tradition every faith you know over the course of 40 years um it wasn't you know wasn't all that hard I didn't go out and try to read all of the world's scripture in the span of 12 months or whatever and, and pretend to be an expert on it but just over you know over 40 years you know things would just sort of fall into your lap you know and um even like on one occasion, a copy of the Quran and just literally almost fell into my lap. And I went, mm, I'm going to take that as a side. I've never read the Quran, so I'll be to look at it and see what that's about, you know, and I read some of that. Um, but I've read all sorts of stuff. The, the, the things that spoke to me very early on were um, the Upanishads, you know, um, there's a lot in there. And then of course, and I'm, I'm going to, this is all relating to, in particular, into yoga and meditation, right? And you know the famous works of Patanjali, uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. Um, so there's a bunch of information in there. But of course, I mean, first and foremost, I had my my teacher. You know, she was a tremendous tremendous teacher and a, a great mentor to me. You know, whenever weird little thing. Actually, here you go. That i have forgotten this. You know, um, I had some experiences with entities and things, right? And uh, that came up, and I remember calling her in a panic. And uh, I said, "This is what happened," you know. And uh, and she said, her response was so cool. She was a really, really neat, neat woman. She's very, very even-keeled. She said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I had some experiences with those guys. Yeah, you just want to sort of, yeah, you don't want to sort of mess around with those guys too much. I mean, that's nice, but you just, you know, tell them that thanks, but no thanks. You're working on your own stuff, you know." and uh, that was really cool. And I suppose that kind of mentorship with that kind of calm and that kind of experience, that gives you a degree of confidence, no question. But um, but yeah, the reading, uh, all the other experiences, um, the fact that my eldest brother, again was also at one point uh, in his in his life, in his career trajectory was a was a counselor, like a community worker, community counselor. So I grew up sort of whether I liked it or not, um, the unwitting, you know, subject of a lot of psychoanalysis and uh, you know, and sort of developing sort of communication skills and you know and this sort of stuff. And um, that somehow factored into all of it as well, you know, in, in being able to work through different things. Um, but yeah, does that answer your question?
0: Definitely. (laughs) And I love the fact that you brought up about having a mentor and, you know, it goes back to like that old, um, saying that when the, the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I think that that kind of gives me a lot of hope too just the fact that this is all that's also been a part of your journey and um, I'm wondering if maybe you'll share a little bit more about the entities people are you know always so interested in like when when people experience things that you you know that aren't regular (laughs) how to make the paranormal normal you know so would you mind sharing a little bit about that?
1: yeah I'll'll I'll share yeah I'll, I'll share the ones that I like to share because some there's stuff that there has been stuff that was kind of upsetting but I worked through that and that's okay uh I'll, I'll start with sort of one of the first ones um uh I, there was an evening about 25 years ago maybe 20 years ago and my wife and I had gone to bed And uh, we say, you know, good night, dear, good night, dear, kind of thing. And she rolls over facing the other way. I roll over facing the other way towards the kind of towards the street. And there's a bit of sort of uh, street light coming through, filtering through the curtains, kind of like behind me, you know, maybe a little bit. And I'm laying there for a while. And as I often do, and I can hear her start to her breathing starts to become even and steady. And she's not snoring, but she you know, tells she's asleep. And I'm, but I'm awake and I'm just sort of thinking, contemplating the universe and God knows what, you know, as I like to do in the evening. And as I'm laying there, very, very relaxed, not thinking about anything that, you know, that would make me anxious per se. All of a sudden, very, very, very suddenly, I felt this cold chill run down my back. Like this, like there was a big block of ice behind me. Like it was really, really cold. And without even hesitating, like without thinking, it was it was just, it was kind of startling, right? So I just rolled over. <laughs> I rolled over and there, um, I, I almost am afraid to share this with people because I don't want to scare anybody. So this is a trigger warning for anybody out there who may have you know, had these sorts of experiences. I turn around and there on top of my mother, uh, my mother, my wife, I hope that wasn't a Freudian slip. <laughs> 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 but there on top of my wife, unbeknownst to her, was this creature um, on all fours, almost like a dog, shall we say. But it was clearly, it looked like a gray. It was a gray. I'm going to say it was a gray. But what was interesting about it, as I looked at it, and I sort of drew a, a sharp breath immediately, it was, you know, it was so shock ah! <gasps> um, I noticed one of the things I noticed is that it was kind of um trans, the being was kind of translucent. I could see through it, and I could see the doors of the our bedroom closet right through this, this entity. And of course, as I reacted, this entity <laughs> was like a horror movie. No, he just sort of slowly turned his head and looked straight at me. And and as he was looking at me, he just dematerialized and disappeared. And at that point, my wife woke up and turned over, and she said, "What's the matter?" And I was sort of at a loss for words. I I, I didn't have the heart to tell her. <laughs> I didn't want, I didn't want to share it at that moment. So, um, but uh, again, I just sort of I, I sort of sat with that for a while, and eventually, remarkably enough, I managed to go back to sleep. <laughs>
0: Wow, that's incredible. So did you know what greys were before? And if anybody doesn't know what a grey is, maybe you can explain a little bit more. But were you already exposed to that information? Or was it information that you found after the experience?
1: Oh, no, I'd been exposed to it. This would have been, let's say this is about 10 years after the publication of Whitley Stryber's book, um, you know, Communion. And there's a whole backstory there. Uh, oh my God, I could talk for hours about that. I was at university when that book came out, and it was I used to walk to the local mall, kill time, distract myself from my studies. And there was a bookstore, and they got the bookstore has a book display. And I remember one day walking th- through the mall, and there's the books display about twenty feet away, and I see the this cover and the picture. I mean, it was just you know really really small. I'm twenty feet away, and I go. And I just felt naturally directed, like, (laughs) and I went over to it and I picked it up. And I just remember staring at the cover, like, almost like I was hypnotized, you know, just staring at it. And then what happened, I realized later is being kind of unusual for me as a book person with a degree in literature. Whenever I pick up a book that I'm interested in, I automatically flip it open and start reading bits and pieces of it. On this occasion, I did not. I just stood there staring at the book, at that image, and then I put the book back. And then I turned and went on my way. And later, I went back home uh, between semesters at university, and I'm reunited with my elder brother, and my two older brothers and my sister, and they're all talking about this book that they're reading. And I'm listening, I'm like, Oh, what's this book that you're talking about? And then they say, this book. (laughs) And I went, ah, you know, like, oh, my God. Okay, so what's that about? And then we started talking about it and unpacking it. And um, I don't want to sort of go down the rabbit hole of this because, like, again, we could talk for hours. But in my region of the world, there is a long, 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 long history of UFO encounters, sightings, um, abductions all kinds of stuff. and I have some memories, you know, stuff that slowly come back and whatnot. So it's kind of like, yeah, been there, done that, you know, there's a whole history there. and uh, uh, but it's not that I'm a I'm averse to talking about it. It's just that there's so much, like I say it's a it's a rabbit hole. and um and I guess it, it it's in it's indicative of what my teacher taught me years ago you know, like I don't want, I don't like to get too, you know, hung up on it and too distracted by it. It's important to understand it. And I I absolutely don't believe that we should be in denial about these things. Um, We should, we should make, you know, reasonable efforts to understand what's going on and whatnot. But, um, but uh, yeah, but that's sort of the extent of it. I wanted to point to, I think, I think you would be very interested in this story that I'm, uh, that I want to share now Um, a couple of years ago, and and this is going to relate to entities and everything. Okay. So a couple of years ago, I went and did my first uh, professional past life, you know, hypnotic regression with a very highly qualified, really, really good therapist here in, in where I live. And, uh, um, It was really interesting i was trying to unpack i was trying to get at something that you know that i carried with me all my life there was a particular kind of issue that was bothering me and and i remember reading through some of these you know past life uh, regression books that uh, people were saying you know if you ever got something in your life that's really sticky and like it won't go away it doesn't matter how much meditation you do it doesn't matter how much you work out at the gym you know this just won't go away and that's very often a sign that it's it's a red flag, that there's something maybe from a past life that's just still kind of sticking to you and it's, you know, you need to get over it. Anyway, so uh, the regression therapy can help. So anyway, so I go and do this. And sure enough, I go to a past life where, yeah, it was in Europe a couple hundred years ago. Uh, very interesting life. Very much discre- uh, reflects a lot of my current tendencies and habits, you know, um, in terms of being a gardener, and uh, everything else, but here's the here's the punchline. At the end of your past life regression, you're usually you're led to the time of your death, you're, and it's like, okay, you're going to die now. And okay, what what does that look like? Okay, I died a heart attack, and uh, and it's like, okay, now you're going to go to the light. And usually in these experiences, people go to the light pretty quickly. And they didn't go. Oh, yeah, it's a beautiful experience. I'm in the light, and I'm surrounded by my relatives, and it's great. You know, uh, I got about halfway, and I was like, literally, in this vision that I was having, this internal vision. Um, oh, and keep in mind, by the way, for anybody that's not familiar with this, is that at no time did I forget that I, you know, who I was. I knew that I was Jim Grove on Vancouver Island on this in this woman's, uh, you know, ther- you know, therapeutic uh, office. But at the same time, I was having these clear visions from whatever this past life was. So I'm going up into the clouds, into the sky, and then I just get stuck. And I started like sobbing and crying. And this this heavy grief came out, which was the whole reason I went there in the first place, was this grief that I've carried all my life and had carried all my life. And uh, so the therapist says, okay... I want you to now summon your guides. You can do this. You know, you can summon your guides, and your guides will come, and um, they'll they'll help you out with this. So, uh, and so, you know, in under hypnosis, you just sort of you think the thought, and yeah, sure enough, you know, the stuff happens. Well, this is what happened. This is the vision I had. And let's for a moment understand too that whatever visions are, a lot of times they're they're they can be. I I believe. Uh, projection of our own consciousness, you know, our, 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 our little human brain, you know, trying to make sense of whatever this information is, and these energies are that are coming to us, right. So, uh, here's the vision, (laughs) there's a cloud in the distance and out of the cloud comes some kind of craft. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I have to laugh, this craft sort of approaches me, and then all of a sudden, The craft isn't there, there's just these two beings in front of me, and I can can sense one of them is male, and one of them is female. And they're communicating with me telepathically, and they're just reassuring me, and they're entirely loving, and it's absolutely wonderful, it's beautiful. Uh, But the punchline is, I'm looking at them, and part of my present day consciousness is just kind of like, holy smokes. they look like extraterrestrials as we understand them, right? Not grays precisely, but the other beings that they often describe—you know—who are taller and but you know, kind of that chiseled, pointy chin and big eyes and stuff. And <laughs> like I say, I just I I feel fortunate that I could laugh about this stuff. Uh, but, you know, just sort of like, okay, you know, this is what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty of it is, is that through that experience, my guides did, as my therapist promised, they they led me through to the white light, and then I was able to complete that experience and tie it up in a bow. And it was, and I, I resolved that issue. By the way, that um, I'd gone there to see her for. So it's really a wonderful experience.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that because a light bulb just went off in my head as you were sharing. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course, it's probably past life something. So I I, that's just like for me in this very right now moment. (laughs) Thank you very, very much. Um, and yeah, you know, again, like you're kind of sharing more about how like willing and accepting you are to be confronted and to dive into these deep realms of consciousness. And I think that that is amazing because I think that it takes a certain level of courage, exercising that spiritual principle of courage in our lives in order to continue to be a seeker, to search, And to remain open-minded to experiences and like, you know, weird fringe stuff happening to us. I think that's so great. And I just want to say that at IONS, we actually are just starting a UFO, ET, NDE experiencer group. So... I'm going to put a link for that in the liner notes of this episode because Uh it's just, it's very synchronistic that you happen to be sharing about this. And we're just starting this group at IONS because I feel like the experiences are very linked together. You know, I feel like people who have sort of ET experiences, you know, like these are spiritual experiences. It's like other, other realms of, of spiritual worlds. So I'm so grateful that you're sharing about it.
1: Yeah, I would, I would, I think. I'm suddenly reminded of, amidst my you know many readings and whatnot, and then direct conversations with my own teacher. Um, if you delve into the writings of um, uh, you know some of the yogis of you know of India, they talk about there there's other planets you know with other beings, and this isn't often presented in North America when people go and take yoga classes or whatever. This is this isn't talked about, right? But and then and unfortunately, um, it, it it somewhat bothers me that if it ever does come up, p- uh, people here are very, very quick to be dismissive about it, which I find, uh, quite frankly, implicitly uh, bigoted. If not, maybe perhaps racist. It's like, oh yeah, well we really like the yoga stuff, and I like you know wearing yoga pants, but uh, but oh that other stuff now nah, it's too weird. They didn't really know what they were talking about, you know they you know they had you know they had some crazy ideas, but hey, I really like being in the yoga studio, and it's like no, these guys like consistently they talk about this. Yeah, there's other planets, there's other beings. And they take that same approach that my teacher did, which is, well, yeah, well, okay, if you happen to run into these guys, you know, you know, maybe, yeah, pay attention and see what they have to say. But also don't just sort of jump in and make the assumption, oh, they must be enlightened beings who are, you know, they're going to fix everything for me. Nah, we're supposed to be fixing things for ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That is the journey. The journey oh. is that uh, we, each of us, are supposed to be, you know, um, taking, assuming this the responsibility of uh, doing our own personal work. And now, along the way, if these other guys show up and they help us out with some good information and nice, you know, some mentorship and a few pointers, hey, that's great. But uh, but we can never um, allow ourselves to sort of slip into this delusion that oh, great, they're here now. We don't have to do anything. It's just step back, let them take care of it. No, it's not that's not how it works, you know.
0: Wow, yes, I love that. I love that so much. I just yeah, it's just reminding me like I just watched this uh, like docu-series about a cult (laughs) and, and it was basically exactly what you're saying. Like, oh, they'll come, they'll clean it up and we're just going to wait for it. And, and yeah, you know, like that really takes all the autonomy out of the spiritual journey. Like we came here to experience something for ourselves. And I love that you're, yeah, I I don't know why that's what came into my mind when you said that we're we're not a cult. We're not trying to start a cult unless, no, I'm just kidding. Um,
1: But,
0: um, yeah, I love that.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, when and when you said that, I'm reminded of another thing. It's okay, it's another—I'm going to get on my pulpit here and start preaching. But uh, I, I, one of the things that I, I, I earnestly believe is that, you know, Christianity um, was hijacked in the very earliest days of Christianity, and a lot of—and um, this relates to what you were just saying— is you know Jesus's teachings were absolutely uh, completely inverted by the by the the church of you know I don't want to point fingers I won't say any more than that <laughs> uh, but uh, b- b- basically if you if you actually read the New Testament and the bits and bobs you know where Jesus is actually talking and has things to say one of the th- one of the recurring themes if you actually pay attention is that we're each meant to take responsibility for ourselves we're supposed to pick up he says pick up your cross. He says, pick up your cross. And it's like, you know, that should give us pause to stop and wonder, gee, what was he talking about? And it's like, no, I don't need to pick up any crosses. Jesus died on the cross for me. He did all the work. I'm off scot-free. You know, I'm just waiting now for the rapture. And it's just like, no, no, that's not what Jesus was teaching. It's like you have to do the work. And um, But of course, uh, I think it's human nature that we always want mama and papa to take care of us. You know, it's like, I don't wanna take responsibility. I don't wanna be accountable for what comes out of my mouth or my actions and my choices. It's just, it's so much easier and and really pleasing to, to me to imagine that someone else will just take care of it all for me, you know?
0: Wow, thank you so much for that interpretation. That really is very profound and it just closed a bunch of loops for me. Um, I've never heard that phrase that way. I've never thought of it that way. But yeah, I think kind of, I think it might be, well, it's part of the conditioning, right? I mean, obviously we're born and somebody takes care of us from the second that we're like these helpless little newborns. And so, you know, that's part of the conditioning. And I think that most, the you know, like the most- the greatest gift about conditioning is to learn how to uncondition and recondition. So (laughs) I love what you're saying because it's just another reminder that maybe we've been misled and not purposefully or maliciously, but just, it's just the way that it is because I think that's part of the human experience is to unlearn and relearn. And um, yeah, I'm so grateful for you and your willingness to come out and share. You've led a super fascinating life and I'm so grateful for you, and yeah, just being willing to share, um, just with me and with whoever else watches this. So um, I just want to see if there's anything else that you'd like to share to feel more complete about our time together today.
1: Oh, the uh, I, I, one thought just occurred to me after I after I just finished slaying the Christian Church. Um, <laughs> I I I consider myself at heart a Christian, or you could even call it a Christian yogi. Um, uh, and I want to acknowledge that within the Christian Church at large, there is no question, no doubt in my mind, that it, there are tremendous, wonderful, great spiritual people, and throughout the history of Christianity. And I, I, for example, I have a whole collection of books, you know, and, and writings by Christian mystics throughout the ages. But I will say it's significant that all those Christian mystics, most of them, were burned at the cross <laughs> or burned at the stake. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but uh, but but having said all that, you know, the I, st- I still I still want to believe, even in these times when the, you know the church has been criticized so much and has been, you know um, you know, been dismantled you know th- through so many criticisms and whatnot, I think it's really important to remember that all of these faiths, Christianity and everything else, so they all have brought something good into the world. And I think it's really important to remember that. Um, I think what we're experiencing right now in the terms of, well, let's call it the awakening and the transition to the the fifth dimensional consciousness, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think it's just indicative of the fact that this is part of our evolution as human beings, you know, and, um, you know, this is what's if you again, if you become a student of history and I always I encourage people to do to do that, you know, it, it give some time, give some thought to thinking about how we were behaving 10,000 years ago how we were behaving 5,000 years ago and even, you know, 500 years ago. And, and, you know, let's give ourselves a little bit of credit. (laughs) You know, we've, we've come along, excuse me, we've come a long way. And it's, it's really important, I think, to, to look at that overall arc of the story, you know, and uh, yeah, and and keep, keep pushing forward.
0: (laughs) I love that. Thank you so much for, yeah, you have such a kind spirit. I think that's because you're from Canada and I really dig it. <laughs> I'm just so grateful. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next time.
1: Uh, Betty, thank you so much. You take care. Be wavy.